How powerful is the phrase, I love you. I love you. Hi, this is Neil with Other People's Shoes. I want to call your attention to a new app that I've discovered called World Love Bank. Now, let me tell you something really quick. There's something powerful about the phrase, I love you. It can do wonders to our mental health. It can just make us feel like we matter and that we value that person that we say it to. Now think about this for a second. Think about the person you you. love most in this world. Got him? Now imagine just for a brief moment, imagine if you could never hear the words, I love you you," ever again. That's what World Love Bank is all about. See, what they're doing is they're capturing the I love yous from loved ones that you can go back in and go into that bank like a savings account and withdraw that I love you. you. Even if that loved one is passed because maybe that loved one has banked their I love you and it'll be there forever. So think about that. Check it out right now. World Love Bank on your favorite app store of choice, whether that be Apple iOS or Android Google Play. Check it out now. World Love Bank. I love you. Welcome into other people's shoes. As you know, I am your host, Neil Matthews. Thank you so much for stopping by today. Really appreciate it. Help me welcome in our guest today. By the way, we don't have to travel too far. In fact, we can get on our car, drive down I-5, swing by Mission Viejo, say hi to my cousin, grab some lunch, and continue on down just a little way further to that beloved Orange County area. In fact, help me welcome in my guest today. She is a visionary and a challenger. In fact, she would describe herself as being that her whole entire life. She's the founder and CEO of Azar and Core, a coaching company that is all about activating women live the life with wholeness. For nearly 20 years, she has pastored in two of the most influential churches in the U.S. She is a certified coach, an international speaker, an author, and an advocate for the marginalized voice. Maybe that's you right now. Has your voice been marginalized? Well, keep listening. She would also describe herself as a tomboy with sparkly shoes. Like that sparkly shoe idea, by the way. She's also crazy about her high school sweetheart, Brian. Together, they co-parent three fabulous kiddos. We have found our way to April Diaz. Hey, April, how are you today? I'm fantastic. I am. It's funny. We are. We're right off of the five, approximately 1,000 miles between us. Just, you know, about five turns between my house and yours, I bet. But April, I am excited that you're here today. I'm excited because you know a lot of the same people I know. And it's always nice because I feel like we already know each other in some respects. Got to ask this question because I feel like it's so important and, and we cannot not have it answered. And that's this question of what style of shoe do you like to wear? I would say my preferred shoe is a flip-flop. I live in Southern California, so that means I can wear flip-flops about 330 days a year. I'm not really a shoe person. Flip-flops are kind of the easiest way on and off. Just keep it simple, dude. I like it. So no stilettos or anything like that to make our calves look better? Oh, I can rock a good stiletto, and that's really great. And boots, I love boots. Just, they have to be comfortable. I'm in my 40s now. I'm not interested in discomfort. They have to look good, but I also have to, like, be able to 
be in them for a good bit. I can't get around flip-flops. I just can't. The thing in between my my toe, I just... Ugh. Well, good thing you don't live in Southern California. I used to, though. I used to live in Oceanside. Oh, like you didn't go to the Rainbow Outlet and get yourself some good... I don't even know what the Rainbow Outlet is. I do remember Thrifty Market and getting two scoops of ice cream at Thrifty's. So. Right, that's and pick, right. And Pick and Save, I remember that, too. Was baptized in a little place called Carlsbad, California. You probably never heard Absolutely. of that place either. Yeah. Yep. No, Pizza Port is one of our favorite restaurants. We love to go to Pizza Port as often as possible. And Carlsbad is one of the closer ones. So, so April, getting into you and your story, we've been asking people this question this season on Aglids, which, by the way, a lot of people don't know. So I'm going to help yeah. just to remind. So thank you, Phineas and Ferb. Disney Channel. They reminded me of what an aglet is. By the way, the aglet is a plastic thing or metal piece at the end of the shoelace that keeps things from unraveling. So if you didn't have that plastic thing on your shoelace, your shoelace would eventually unravel itself. Hmm. Yeah. Learn something new every day, That's right? That's why you have to wear shoes. Yeah. Well, I mean, we always ask because we're in other people's shoes. So we got to know what shoes we're in. That's why we ask that question also. Sure, but even a greater tie-in. But, oh, I see what you did there. Did you double knot or sink? Anyway, I'm wondering about you. What is that? What is that one thing? What is that thing that keeps you from unraveling? I mean, you know, the Jesus answer is the easy answer for sure. And that is unequivocally true. My faith is, my faith is a really secure anchor for me. I would say more practically speaking, and maybe this also is a little cliche, but it's, it's my man. It's my family. I, I married my high school sweetheart. We've been together since more or less since we were 17 years old. So I don't know. I, I don't know how that happened. That's like kind of a crazy gift in the world that I am still with the person that I was with at 17. However, he is both an anchor for me and my catalyst. Like he, he helps me to stay grounded and he's like fly baby fly and go do all the things and rock the world. There's something very, very centering and, uh, and assuring and secure about that type of relationship and possibly grateful for it. But hear me on this. I think the cynic sometimes in all of us, right? There, There is that cynic person that hangs around sometimes. Sure. Maybe, maybe not in your world, but sometimes in my world. And I think the cynic in me says, come on, it, it can't really be that Hallmark movie. It can't really be this amazing love. I mean, really? Like, can it? Can we really have that as our main source of who we are? I don't like Hallmark movies. I don't watch them. They kind of annoy me. But I also am a sucker for the rom-coms. So it has to be possible because it literally feels like my life. He is still my favorite person. He's right behind me, this room behind me. He's working in isolation while I'm recording this podcast. I don't know how it is possible. I just know that that's my life. Like that's, that's what I'm living. And it feels like a crazy grace. Like I said, because who in their right mind is able to choose that kind of person when you are so young and you don't know anything. I mean, we've worked really hard in our relationship for sure. We've done a lot of therapy. <laughs> we've, we've gone through stuff and it is, it is the thing that grounds me the most. But what would you say to those out there who may be on the search? Mm -hmm maybe on the hunt, maybe hoping that they have that hallmark. And I hate them too, by the way. I love to make fun of them. It's my favorite thing probably to make fun of on this show next to you know, people's <laughs> shoes. In that, if we're talking a practical level, yeah, yeah. on a practical level, is it really realistic for someone to have what you have? Is it realistic for someone to find that mm -hmm. one true love, true love's kiss, even if we're going to get all yeah. sappy and romantic-y? 
It has to be possible. I mean, I think that there's hope in that. I don't know that it has to be like a romantic partner or a life partner or a spouse or whatever, but I think that we're wired for that kind of relationship where there's intimacy and like you really feel seen and you feel held and you feel a sense of like, I can do anything because this person believes that I can do anything. You know, like I have to believe that that's true. I think that's how we are wired is for that kind of relationship. Mine happens to be in my husband. I think there's two things for the person that is going, how do I, or what do I, one is I'm a massive, insane, passionate believer that like, you've got to do your own work. And if you want that kind of love and that kind of connection or that kind of partnership with any person, I think you have to be that kind of person as well. You can't expect that from somebody else if you're not willing to do that. And so do your own work and be the kind of person that you want in that relationship. The Gandhi, be the change you want to see in the world. Like there's, there's really good truth in that. But secondarily, there's not a passivity in pursuing that kind of relationship with someone else. And so the, the counterbalance to that, I would say, to get what you've never had, you've got to do what you've never done. And there are some folks that are that are waiting for that person or that thing, that relationship to come along. And there's a very passive, open, but passive relationship that they have in that. If you want something that you don't have, you have to do things that you haven't done. And that this is where my coaching side comes out of like, you have to participate in the life that you want to live. You have to, you have to actively work toward building that kind of world, that kind of life, that kind of future. It doesn't just happen. So I think those two things in partnership with each other, it's not like a magic solution. It's not like you, you know, rub these two sticks together and then you've got a fire. Those are the two things you can do that really will help to bring that kind of relationship into your life. Well, and again, going back to this, we just sat with somebody Mm -hmm. last week that has started an app, but in that she wants people around the world to hear the phrase, I love you. And she wants everyone to go and and hear that because she herself at one point in time in her life was bankrupt emotionally, physically, financially, all of it. What for you, if we can dive into that a little bit, what for you, when you hear that phrase, I love you, what does it mean to you? And and how does that kind of relate to you in your world? Mm, It's a great question. I think when I hear the word, I love you, I hear you fully belong. You're fully received. All of you, the good, the bad, the ugly, the past, the present, the future, like there is a, there's a whole acceptance and receiving embrace of who you are. Again, that's, that's been work that I have had to do to like be able to view it like that, to receive it like that. I think love is ultimately freeing and love is, is so open in the ability to not hold someone in, to release them, to be able to go and do and be everything that God has intended and created them to be. And so love feels freeing. It feels accepting. It feels whole. It feels, it is God. It feels like the safest place in the world to me. Has there ever been a moment in your life where you really struggled with being loved? (laughs) No, never. Are you kidding? (laughs) Most of my life, I think probably for the five minutes that we've been on this recording together, you probably get some some tastes of my wiring, of my personality, of my my being, my essence. And there, there's a lot of who I am that has been told is not the way for a woman or a woman who follows Jesus to show up in the world. And so there's there's been a lot of work that I have done, a lot of reorientation for me as a woman, as a woman who loves God, being loved exactly for who I am. 
and that that is both good enough and that is actually that's how I've been created. That's how I've been designed. So yeah, there, there's been a lot of work around. I, I'm big into the Enneagram. I don't know if you or your listeners do much of the Enneagram work. You're four. Oh, I love fours. You're so special. You're so special. You're so special. My husband's a five with a four wing. So he, I get you. I'm an eight with a seven wing. And again, that's just, that's not how Christian women particularly are supposed to show up in the world and who they're supposed to be. And so a, a lot of the work that I have needed to do in feeling loved and allowing myself to receive love and then give love has been around the idea of belonging. And even in this last year, I did, I've done a lot of work with my therapist around the fact that I belong when I have not felt like I have fit the mold when I have done what I'm supposed to do, when I am playing the roles and living into the responsibilities that have been prescribed for me, that I actually very much belong to God and to the people around me. And that is that is good and that's safe. Listen, I think, and I was raised a little differently than maybe some. My dad didn't teach me a lot of lessons. He was rarely there. And when he was there, he was he was not there. Yeah. He was a Marine, United States Marine, Semper Fi. Oh, wow. Hoorah. Well. In my later years, I'm now in my 40s, shamefully admitting 42 now. I'm 42. It's the best. I don't know about that, but... <laughs> but in those later years, like, we've found this weird weird, odd connection that we just are now starting to see each other authentically and without any kind of uniform, without any kind of labels, without any kind of baggage, walls, whatever analogy, metaphor sure. you want to use in there. But I also know the woman he left behind in 1997 was my mother. I don't remember times of him loving yeah. her well. There was this amazing couple that came into my life in 1996. So right around the time my parents are like, ending their thing. I meet this amazing couple through church and they have like 80,000 kids. Okay. Not 87,000. They had like 10. Might as well be same, same. And they came into my life and, and this guy, Eric stepped into my life and showed me what it was like to love a wife. He'd open the door for his wife. They'd go to on dates. They'd go grocery shopping together. I'm like, this is so mushy, gushy, blah as a teenager. But I saw that. And right around that same time in 90, 96, 97, I met my wife at 17, at 16. When I hear you talk about this love and, and I hear you talk about, you know, empowering women, because let's face it, that's what you're all about. 100%. I do know there's got to be women out there. They're like, awesome. That's awesome that you guys have this amazing marriages. High five to both of you. But I've been hurt. Mm -hmm. I've been cheated on. I've, yeah. I've been rejected. I don't know why, but this terrible song keeps flashing through my mind and, and I cannot get it out of my head. And I'm trying to find the lyrics exactly. It's this song by J.J. Heller, and I've used it on a number of episodes. It, it says this, her office is shrinking a little each day. She's the woman whose husband has run away. She'll go to the gym and work out again. Maybe if she was thinner, he would have stayed. Wow. Wow. I ask you this question because I think so many women are this lady in this lyrics. Mm -hmm. Like if I was just this, if I was just that, if I was just, ugh, if I'm being candid, my mom has made this statement multiple times. If I was just more attractive, your dad would have stayed. Man. What do you say to all that? And I know I just dumped a whole like, closet like... full of toys on the floor and you're having to sift through all this, but I feel like you're a professional. You're so good. What do you tell us in that moment, April? What I hear in all of that 
is how detrimental the patriarchy has been for both men and women. At the crux of it, the patriarchy has damaged and wounded not only women, but also men. And so there's beauty in your story and the fact that you and your dad are finding these these vulnerable and tender places of reconnection and of relationship, right? You're, You're talking about taking off the uniform, like all of these armors that have been placed on that is that is patriarchy at work. And now you are you're coming together as grown men. Yes, there's a father father son relationship. There's also just a human to human relationship that is connecting you. And that is that's so important and beautiful. It's what we all need. But I mean, I hear the lyrics to that song and I'm like, that's that's a horrible song. It is so damaging to how it is that we have value as women inherently but then also how we show up in a relationship with someone else that the value that I bring is what my body looks like. Or if I would be just a little bit skinnier or if I'd be a little bit prettier, he would have stayed. Absolutely not. That is so antithetical to what it means to be human, to what it means to be loved, to what it means to be made in the image of a divine God. I think that even in the Christian world, probably particularly in a Christian space, the effects of that are even more damaging because we have laced it with theology that affirms that that is the created order and it is not at all what God has intended. So, I mean, you, you went there, so I'm went there too. So let me help even further damaging of the song. It's amazing song, by the way. So here's some of the lyrics as the chorus goes, who will love me for me, not for what I've done or what I will become, who will love me for me because nobody has shown me what love, what love really means. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an honest expression of that person's experience. And I, I absolutely honor that. There's a lot of work that we do in my work and my company with women who are trying to figure this out, who are, are, are trying to undo and rebuild and acknowledge and become aware and let go of how these kinds of damaging messages have really formed how they think about relationships, particularly relationships with men. But also it's it's intrinsically connected to their view of themselves. To be able to to shed those kinds of layers. I have a very dear friend right now who's in the tail end of a gut-wrenching divorce. And it is nothing that she wants. It is, it is not at all what she would have crafted for her own life story. It's shocking. It is totally destroying in so many ways. And yet I have seen her come alive and to come into her own skin and her own body, into her own voice, into her own power, into her own calling in ways that she never would have been able to had that relationship stayed intact. So I am never the person who goes, find your person and then it will all be good. (laughs) And at the end of the day, if something would happen in my own relationship that would sever it, that would disintegrate it, whatever reason why, I would want to follow in the footsteps of my sister who is out of the ashes rising and is becoming made new because she is seeing the Imago day that has been placed within her in a completely different way than she ever would have had she stayed in a relationship that was harmful and damaging and not life-giving. When I hear you talking, I think of so many women in my life who have been hurt, who have been damaged, who have been kicked around by men. Listen, I'm not the poster child or the husband of the month. Back in the day, we had citizen of the month, right? I'm not husband of the month, right? I didn't earn honor rolls either. I've had my fair share of dark moments that that I wish somehow I could jump into DeLorean and go back in time and change all of that for my wife and I even. 
nobody's perfect. I joke often. My wife and I do not have a Hallmark mm. marriage. At times, it's probably been lifetime. I've been Brian Austin Green and been <laughs> the jerk. I know I have. Sorry, Brian Austin Green. It's typecasting. Say all that to say, what hope is there for women? What hope is there for them if they're stuck? I know Disney has done a number of you ladies wrong. They've they've wronged you. Cinderella screwed you guys up. You know, you put on the glass slipper, your life's going to change forever. That Prince Charming is going to come save you from the tower. You know, whatever. All right, so reinforcing a patriarchy there, man. What what hope is there for ladies right now that, that you feel like you want to share with them? So I have this word tattooed on my arm in both English and the original Hebrew. It's the word azer, a word that's used 17 times in the Old Testament of the scriptures. Twice that Hebrew word azer is used to describe woman in Genesis 2. When God creates and forms woman and says that I'm going to make an azer that is suitable for him. The translations that I have read and I was taught growing up, especially was that word was translated as helper or helpmate or helpmeet, which was reinforced in the theology around that the role of the woman was to be submissive and subservient and secondary to the man that she was married to. That word has little to nothing to do with marriage. It has to do with her identity as created in the image of God. So twice it's used to describe women in Genesis 2, but the majority of the time, the 17 times in the Old Testament, that word is used to describe God. Azer is used to describe God. By very simple rational logic, a word that is used to put women in a secondary subservient or submissive place cannot be the same word because God is not that to any of us. God is not secondary subservient or submissive to humanity. But in the 17 times that it's used in the Old Testament, that God is an azer to us. It is used to describe as a warrior, as a rescuer, as a strong helper, as a face-to-face -face deliverer. That is a more reflective and a fuller translation of what that word means. And that is, that is, the word that God used to describe woman. And so I think the hope for us is to be re-identified with who it is that we have been created to be. And it is not in a lesser than place. It is in a place of mutual partnership and of full equality and is made in the image of the divine God. I think that as we understand first and foremost who it is that we've been created to be, that utterly changes how we show up in our relationships and how it shows up in the ways that we contribute to and change and impact the world that is around us. But again, all of that sounds really good. It's how does that impact you? Like, when did you have that, like, kind of wake up epiphany moment that you're like, listen, this is how I'm going to live my life. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm going to be no matter what. These are the things that I'm going to be rock solid as concrete. Mm -hmm. I'm not changing. I'm not backing down from. It started for me in high school. And again, part of it is because of my wiring. I am strong. I am intense. I am opinionated. I am an advocate. I am a go-getter. I get shit done in the world. I'm a leader. I'm a visionary. I am someone who wants to live actively in this life that I've been given. Most of those words have been used to define and describe men, not women. As I became increasingly clear as a, as a adolescent, right? The whole point of adolescence, one of the, one of the main purposes is individuation, you know, knowing who it is that you are. As that became clear for me, if this is who I am, it didn't fit what I was told I was supposed to be. But because, you know, the first question you asked me was like, what, what kind of anchors you or, or what holds you together helps you from fraying. And, and my first answer was Jesus. Like that, that was true for me in high school of going, I literally am going to listen to the voice of God 
over the voice of man, figuratively, literally all of it. As a high school student, I felt a very strong sense of calling into pastoral and church leadership. That was not a part of what other people told me I was able to do. That was like a That was an absolute no-no. That was like the first milestone and pivot point for me was there was something that I felt like God was asking me to do that was the antithesis of what man was telling me I was able to do. And so there was a choice for me of whose voice is more important and whose voice am I going to listen to and whose voice am I going to trust? Choosing the path and the direction of God's influence on me, that was a game changer for me. And then it's really been a series of of small and big decisions and choices along the way. I mean, certainly the person that I chose to marry made a huge difference on that. He has always been the person that has believed in me more than I've believed in myself and has thought I could change the world and I can do anything that I want. Will literally put his money where his mouth is. Will take great personal sacrifice in order for me to be able to do that. And that was Again, that was never modeled for me. That was never shown as like a potential that a partner or a spouse could do some of that. So that's a grace thing for me. I I, I know that. I recognize that. Well, let's let's step back in time. Okay. I, I love time travel. I don't understand it, but I, I do think right, it's, the DeLorean, right, hello, yeah. it's possible. Hello, Marty McFly. It's possible. But if we go back to like that 95, 96 time frame. Yeah. You know, maybe you're starting your freshman year of high school, maybe even a little bit before that when you're when you're in those middle school years. Mm-hmm. What would you go back and tell that middle school, April, about life now? It is better than you ever could have imagined, but it's going to take a bunch of risks. You will be misunderstood and you will be called things. You will have to choose a, a path of, of resistance that will cost you, but it is worth it. Because at the end of the day, you will know who you follow. You know whose opinion matters. You serve an audience of one. You have to be able to put your head on the pillow at the end of the day, believe that you've done your best to show up and bring a little bit more of heaven on earth. That's the only thing that matters. I think I would say that. And then I would also say, because of the amount of therapy and work that I've had to do in the last 20 years, I would also say to her, and you totally belong, all of you. You are, you are not too much. You are enough. You are beautifully and wonderfully made and you 100% belong. So don't ever, don't ever question that or you don't have to fight for that. Fight for justice, fight for, for other people's belonging, fight for the beauty. And those are the fights worth having, but you're good. Did that younger April not feel like she fit in at all? Did she not feel loved? Did she not feel accepted in any way? I think I felt really loved by my parents. Um, but I, I was in Christian school and homeschooled from kindergarten through sixth grade. I lived in three different States in my three different middle school years. The first time I ever went to a public school was in seventh grade, that middle, you know, that middle year of middle school. I was the only girl in my friend group who had faith that was showing up in the way that I chose to live my life as well. So I was always the odd girl out. I I was the new girl in town. I was the new girl in the school. My family wasn't as financially well off as the friends that I rolled with. So I was always the girl in like the hand-me-downs or like the off-brand clothes. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't. I always belonged, but I was on the outskirts. I was on the outside of the inside, like the Mickey Mouse ear of whatever group. And so absolutely for middle school and high school, throughout it all, I never felt like I fit. I always felt like the outsider. And and that was true both at school and at church. 
that was true within my family. You know, like I've always been like the rebellious one, <laughs> even though like I wasn't at all like, I, but because of my wiring and because of my personality, I was the one who never fit. That's why I'd go back and tell her those things is because that was the wrestle and the struggle of both knowing who I was, but then also how I show up in the world. Would she believe anything that you're saying to her right now? Would she believe it? Yeah. Oh, probably not. Because, you know, now I parent middle schoolers and <laughs> like they don't believe anything you say. <laughs> You're the dumbest one in the room. So I'm sure she wouldn't. But I think that I think one thing that's always been true about me is that I've always been a seeker of truth. I've always been a ferocious learner. And so I think that I would have heard her, but I don't think I would have believed her yet if that can coexist. Let's face it, all of us, if we jump in that proverbial DeLorean and we we time travel back to our younger selves, I think most of us would not believe our future self. Mm-hmm. I've joked for years now of, of doing the show. I want to go back in time and punch seventh grade Neil just right in the face. And then, totally. you know, he's like, what was that for? You know why. Because <laughs> you're a jerk. Because again, I think undoubtedly there are ladies listening right now that says, okay, awesome. April has her stuff together. She's got it lined out. She knows where she's at. She knows where she's going. I'm just not there yet. I don't have value to bring to the conversation. I don't even have value to bring to the world. Nobody really cares about me or what I believe. And they get in this or moment, as I call it. How would you dig them out of that? And how would you help them mm, out of that? I wouldn't dig them out of it, first of all. I think despair is your friend. Kierkegaard says people find a level of despair that they can tolerate and they call it happiness. And so a lot of the work that we do in coaching is to help people be friends with their despair because it's actually the place where then you can start to fight for yourself, finding the despair and being okay with it. And then I wonder who does this serve? What are the rewards that you get for continuing that narrative? What does that do for you? Do you like that person? Do you like who you are? Do you like who you're becoming? Do you want to continue on that trajectory? Because there are the stories that we tell ourselves are powerful. The more that we reiterate them and rehearse them, the stronger that those stories get in the way that we continue to live moving forward. You know, as a coach, I'm really interested in your past because I believe your whole story matters. So if you can't, you can't come to terms with and own and identify and embrace what has happened to you and what has gotten you to this point, you can't fully be present here and now or move and create the kind of future that you want to live in the future moving forward. For that woman, I would go like, you can believe all of those things and you can say all of that about yourself. Is that getting you what it is that you want in your life? And is that the kind of legacy? And is that the kind of work that you want to leave behind for your children or for those that you love most? How does that serve the world? I mean, my brain is going to like some structured conversations that I would have in a coaching relationship with those kinds of women. I, I think that there's a whole bunch of lies that exist, obviously, in those kind, that kind of language and in that type of narrative that are unequivocally untrue, but I cannot dig anyone out of that. That is work that you have to do with God and probably with somebody who can help walk you through it. I love that. Love that a lot. One of my favorite role models in life, I still am really mad that he passed way before I could even attempt to reach him and have a conversation with him. But he is quoted as saying this, 
It says, love and trust in the space between what's said and what's heard in our life can make all the difference. Mr. Rogers. Oh. Space between love and trust. Mm -hmm. What is said in our lives can make all the difference. And it can even change the world. Absolutely. So why for you is changing the world or changing a woman's life so important to you? Women are half the world, for one. And I think that we have only seen glimmers of the impact, influence, and power that women can have in structure, structural places. Obviously, women have run the world when it comes to raising families, the backbone of kind of that core institution. I mean, without argument, women have run the world there. But I also think that we we haven't even seen what it looks like for women to participate fully outside of like those traditional places. And I think we lose so much of what that contribution can look like. You know, I have, I have zoom meetings and coaching calls and phone calls with women from all over the country every day. And inevitably there's a, there's a child that interrupts or there's a cancellation because a phone call comes in from school or an emergency meeting at the office because somebody went rogue, you know, like there's a, there's an interplay of like personal and professional, individual and communal. And when those worlds actually collide with each other, there is so much beauty. Like that is, that's the real, that's real deal. And, and the way that women show up in those spaces when they are more fully themselves and alive is it's a, it's a game changer. It just, it completely changes the world. So I just think like the world will be so much better. We will see more of heaven on earth when women are their full self. Simple. So are you, are you aware that the name April actually means open? Yeah, I am. It it also means new life. And that's fascinating. I, I don't know. I just, I think sometimes names, people don't really know what their name means. And I've thrown that out a couple of times. I'm like, have you ever like Googled your name, what it means? Some haven't blown away by that every time. When I hear that name meaning, and if we were going to go like, again, give you a dictionary definition for you and who you are, what would we find there? Azer. That is at the truest. I mean, that, and that is universal for us women. I find, find great importance in that because I am not an individual separated woman. I am connected in a larger stream of women that have gone before me and that have paved the way for me and that I am connected to throughout all of history. It's literally in my DNA. It's in my cells. It's in the neurology of my brain. That's first and foremost is it's April is connected to this larger community. I'm an Azer. And then I would say, you know, I am, I am an advocate. I am a leader, mother, a wife, a passionate visionary, a restorer of broken things, a believer in what God actually intended since the beginning of time and has been restoring since the cross. I am, I'm really hopeful. I think next to my name would be like some imagery of, of life. Like you said, my name means open and it means new life. My middle name is Lei, L-E-I, like a Lei of flowers in Hawaii. So in my name, and my last name is Diaz, right? I'm married to a Puerto Rican man. My own ethnic heritage is, is German, Swiss, French. I have two babies that are Ethiopian and I have one biological mixed race child. I think next to my name also includes all of that. It is a the world, lover of humanity and a believer that we belong together and that we are better together than we are separate. That's a very long definition. And like that's letters A through R in the alphabet or one through 12. I don't know, (laughs) but I'm a lot of things. And I own all of that because I've worked hard 
to be that kind of person. Well, April, if someone's listening to you right now and they're like, you know what? What she's saying has struck a nerve. What she's saying has has brought about things that I, I'm uncomfortable with, but I want to get more comfortable yeah. with, if that makes sense. I was uncomfortable. Great. Now I want to get Fantastic. comfortable with them. What would you say to them in this moment of, of how they can reach you? Well, first I would say uncomfortability is your friends, just like despair is your friend. Being uncomfortable is the place, is is the, the beginning of a transformation journey. You cannot become different. You cannot become more of who you've been created to be without being uncomfortable. You have to. Be comfortable in the uncomfortability. Embrace it, receive it, be open to it. That is a gift. And that is, that's an invitation to go somewhere new. That is the prompt from God to go, there's something else that I have for you here. Pay attention. Don't go back to sleep again. Don't fall back into your comfort zones. Don't start coping again. Lean into that and trust that there's something really beautiful on the other side of that uncomfortability. That'd be like my my pastoral word in it all. Practically speaking, you can find us at azerandco.com. You could follow us on socials, all the same, Azer and Co. We are very committed to standing with women to become their whole self. All about activating women to live and lead with wholeness. Everything that we do is around that. When we show up better in the world, everything flourishes. Everyone gets better. The water level gets raised, health and healing. Actually, the root word for wholeness is healing. And so there is more healing on earth as it is in heaven. I feel like you have Beyonce's song as your ringtone. Like, who rules the world? Girl, I'm all into it. Rumor has it you're kind of competitive. Is that, did we get that right? Did research do its due diligence on that one? 100%. So we're going to play a game together. It's this game that we like to call senseless. So I hope you're ready. <laughs> Am I going to win? Is this, is this what it is? Are you setting me up to win? I'm going to try, but I don't know. It is All a right. random selection. I don't know if you're a basketball fan or not. I am. Not for them. Is this interview over? I, I mean, it should have already been over from the jump. <laughs> What do you mean not for them? I'm holding in my hand my beloved Tar Heels cup, which is broken and been abused. It fell off a shelf and literally Aww. split in half. So it is a truly a broken vessel. You are a big, loyal fan. I applaud you for that, but go blue. Go blue who? Who, who are you saying go blue to? Michigan. Do you want to talk about 93 at all? Do you want to talk about that? The timeout y'all didn't it have? Play a stupid game. All right. Wow. Stupid game now. I've never heard anybody call it stupid. Wow. That's very offensive. All right. So it's this game we like to call senseless. So five senses and then six is our wild card. So it's random. That's why it's kind of a game because it's random. So I'm going to roll. Should I roll out of the cup? I mean, do you feel more comfortable if it's out of the cup? I don't care. Do whatever you want. It's your, it's your show. You also went to the Terrapins. You want to talk about them at all? No? All right. Did. Yeah. All right. So here we go. I am rolling number five here, which is this. There's five people in my family. What you got? What is something that you taste that you always seem to get a reaction to? Mm, two things. Coffee in the morning and wine at night. Boy, you didn't have to like think that over. You're like, well, oh, let me see. Easy peasy. What's your favorite kind of coffee? Like, how do you have it? I use a brand called Kicking Horse Coffee. It's organic, fair trade, certified, you know, all the humane things. It's delicious. It's a, And the specific style is called kick-ass. So it literally helps me to feel like I'm kicking ass in the morning when I start my day off right. French pressed with a little bit of coconut almond milk and a little bit of coconut sugar. And I have two cups. I do my full French press and I drink my two cups in the morning along with a good 24 ounces of water first thing in the day. So there's a lot of peeing first thing in the morning. I'll, I'll say that, right? It's a lot of lot of beverages flowing. And then, yeah, wine at night. It is, it's my, it's how I bookend my day, how I start and end things on a physical level. Well, I, I can't send you any wine because I feel like that would not arrive 
Sure you can. Uh, well, I buy wine all the time online. We'll have to talk about that. But coffee, on the other hand, I'm kind of excited about. Like, I might send you a bag from around here. It's called. Oh, I Boot love Bay. it. And it is it is one of my favorite places to go get a cup of coffee. So I might send you just some whole beans so you can do, you know, as you desire with it. I love it. I like that you're actually not committing to it, though. You said, I might send you some. Well, I might I'm, not. It's the whole Michigan might. thing. Like, I didn't know that from the jump. Had I known, we would have had a whole different conversation now. Absolutely. Because I became a Tar Heels fan actually because of Michigan, believe it or not. Oh no way. 1993. Go look it up. You were probably a little, little middle schooler still. I was. Same and with you. So right around our sixth grade year, they're playing North Carolina in the championship game. Chris Weber's there and he travels. Yes, yes, the Fab, Fab five, five. Right. He travels. Then he gets into the corner and he calls a timeout and Michigan mm-hmm. didn't have any. And so therefore it's a technical foul in basketball and put North Carolina at the line to seal the game. That's why I became a North Carolina fan because my brother was rooting for Michigan at the time. And of course, you know, little brother can't have the same as older brother. So I picked North Carolina because I was born there. And of course they came out in these amazing light blue uniforms, which I just fell in love with that color, which as a dude, it's kind of weird to say it that way, but that's truly what happened. That's an amazing story actually. It's pretty cool. Well, I love it. Thank you for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. You're a fun host. Well, guys, and gals, kids and campers alike, that is the end. Sadly, we say goodbye to April. Had I known she'd have been a Michigan fan, we would have said bye a lot sooner. Just saying. Just putting that out there. But let me put something out there that is actually a little more serious, a little more substance to you. So listen, I know a fair amount of ladies in my life. My sisters, my mom, my wife, ladies at church. Now, as a dude sitting here having this interview, I got to be honest with you. There's so many ladies that kept popping into my brain. Because I think there's so many ladies out there that still struggle with this idea that I don't matter. I don't have value. We've, we walked through a series not that long ago called, Are You Enough? I want to ask you that question today as we, as we leave. Are you enough? Have you been loved enough? Have you been valued enough? Have you been appreciated enough? And if you haven't, why not? Let me know. I'd love to know. Because I'd love to maybe steer you to my new friend, April. And give her an opportunity to really walk out out some of that with you. Some of that baggage. We just came out of a shadow series. Maybe you're still stuck in that shadow. I hope not. But if you are, April gave you some real practical ways to walk out of that. So don't let this unravel you anymore. Take control of this aglet, this this point, this this way to say you can be loved and can be appreciated. Join me in that. If you do, let me know. I'd love to hear it. OPSpodcast.com is a great way. You can connect with us there on our connections page. You can also leave a voicemail there. And you can connect with us on social media at OPS Podcast Show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Love to connect with you there. Don't forget this. Don't ever, ever, ever forget. Don't run out of timeouts because you need to take a timeout right now to remember this. Remember, when you walk in other people's shoes, you really do get a different perspective on life. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned till next week when we walk in other people's shoes.